Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while, we got to the religious people. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face. Shut up. Quit pointing out the problem. Men will be proud, arrogant, abusive. You watch some of today's rock star pastors, and you will see every characteristic Paul listed played out in vivid detail on the church stage. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Do you find yourself in church struggling sometimes with the things your pastor says from the pulpit? If you're honest and like many other pew preachers, then the answer to that is yes. Yes, of course you do. Well, squirm no more because we have the solution for you. Introducing the all-new AutoFaith powered by AI. It's the world's very first microphone that auto-tunes your pastor's heresies away. Can we just agree that God loves us and loves everyone he created? That must mean all paths lead to the same God. As Christians, we affirm that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. (laughs) Did you hear that? Instant heresy correction right on the spot. It's like having a theology professor in your microphone. Never let your pastor stray from sound doctrine again. Hurry, call to order now because supplies are limited. Maybe it doesn't really matter all that much that Jesus rose from the dead. Church, the resurrection of our Lord is central to our faith. It is the hope of our salvation. Call 1-800-AUTOFAITH. That's 1-800-288-6324. AutoFaith is not responsible for any theological debates, church splits, or pastor terminations that may occur. Please use responsibly. AutoFaith, powered by AI. You'll think us later. This is Wretched Radio. Sorry, wait a second. I'm being told in my imaginary earpiece, do not call that toll-free number. We are out Already. of AutoFaith. Sold out. <sighs> Shelves have been vanquished. We have no more. Apparently, there's a need. We're onto something here, Jimmy. With Well, you got AutoTune? Uh-huh. Now we've got auto faith. As soon as they're back in stock, we'll <laughs> let you know. Uh, Jimmy, I do have a bit of a technical question, though, on the auto faith. Okay. Those examples were both male preachers. Uh-huh. Will it work with female preachers? <laughs> yes, it does. Better. As it does. Yeah, because, wow, that would. It's funny that you say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Actually, it's not. Isn't it always kind of a treat when you are considering an issue and you hear one believer talk about it, sharing their understanding of it, and then you talk to another believer who hasn't talked to the aforementioned believer and they say basically the same thing? Wah and la. Michelle Leslie, she is a blogger. I see a lot of her tweets flying around. Wrote an article where I I shed a little bit of a cold conservative tear because her assessment of what is being challenged in the Southern Baptist Convention is the exact same observations that I made. I don't think she listened to what I had to say. She made her own observations and interestingly heard from enough people who said, yes, that's the issue. Because these days, inside of churches, the way that women in elder roles is being advanced is by calling it a secondary issue. How can you make such a big deal? It's a secondary issue. And I said, well, you can call it a secondary. I don't even care if you call it a tertiary issue because it isn't affecting a cardinal doctrine per se, but it is a sin issue and it is an authority issue. It is ongoing, willful, persistent sin. No different than any other clearly defined sin. If the Bible says, don't blank, we don't do that, period. And if a church, especially the person in the pulpit, is committing that sin willingly when it is that clear, I think we would all say, well, you're not fit. And a church that allows that on an issue that is so clear isn't a church. Read that advanced by J.D. Greer was the article that really generated our conversation here, stating that, of course, when it comes to LGBTQ, when it comes to racism, well, we won't put up with that. 
what what makes the role of women in pastoral ministry any different? It's a sin. Michelle Leslie, thank you, by the way, for the folks who send stuff like this to idea at wretched.org. She writes, is murder a first, second, or third tier doctrine? <laughs> what about gossip, rape, adultery, lying, gluttony, pride? And you say, well, none of those are secondary, tertiary theological issues because they're not theology per se. You're right, they're sins. Now, sins, of course, are theological, but chiefly, they fall into the camp of sin. Just pick your favorite sin. Hitting small children with baseball bats. The pastor who mounts the pulpit believing and affirming that it is okay to do that, and dare I say, even doing it, we'd all recognize that as a sin issue. If the Bible says that women simply can't be having authority or preaching, then that's a sin issue. And I was really encouraged to see that Michelle concluded the same thing. She writes, it's not because these issues aren't important or because the Bible doesn't address them. It's because they're in a different category from theology issues. This is the category of sin. And we wouldn't say with these sin issues, well, we can just agree to disagree and get along. Well, on some things, of course, we agree to disagree. You you could have those types of valid disagreements inside of the body and still have unity because you're square on the essentials. But if it's a clear violation of a commandment, then you can't agree to disagree. Okay. Look, you think rape is okay. I think it's wrong. We can just agree to disagree. Wrong. We cannot say we can agree to disagree on lying or adultery or homosexuality or abortion, and we cannot say it about women preaching, teaching men, or holding unbiblical authority either. We disciple and teach a sister who is unaware of what the Bible says on these matters, and if she is committing any of these sins, what do you do? Discipline. Now, that has to happen internally. The SBC dynamic, of course, is different, but her point stands. It's not loving to just go, well, and it is not honoring to the Lord to say, hey, it's secondary. We just agree to disagree. No. Furthermore, not only is it a sin issue, it's an authority issue. A church that refuses to do what the Bible clearly says and goes about the business of committing some sort of hermeneutical origami in an attempt to twist, mangle, contort scripture and make it conform to the ideologies of our current cultural context is sinning in that regard, too. Michelle Leslie. The vi- this was an in- now this this was an insight I didn't bring. The violation of First Timothy two twelve brings with it dangers to the church that secondary or tertiary issues and even some other sins do not. Did he catch that? I do not allow a woman to preach or have authority over men. Th- that that causes a lot of problems. Here's what she writes. The pastor who's preaching, the female pastor, might not say it with her lips, but when a woman preaches to men in defiance of Scripture, she's teaching false doctrine through her behavior. Oh, if a pastor got up, let's just say the only analogy that I could come up with that is maybe kind of close, pastor gets up and he's got a a pride sweater on color of of the rainbow. By the way, did you see the rainbows, the double rainbows at the Cincinnati Reds game over the stadium? Double rain, beautiful, glorious. And on the big screen was an advertisement for the Ark Encounter. I don't know what sort of cloud Ken Ham has to arrange that sort of messaging. That's some good marketing right there, Jimmy. Yeah, they're uh, sponsoring rain delays, which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what she writes, that if a woman is preaching She's sinning and saying this sin is okay. If a fellow got into the pulpit with a pride during the month of June sweater on, you'd go, uh, you're communicating falsehood. B-I-N-G-O. What is the false doctrine she's teaching? I don't have to obey God's word and neither do you. 
If there's a part of the Bible you don't like, feel free to disregard. Further, Michelle has done some homework. Quote, women preaching to men is highly correlated with women teaching other forms of false doctrine. I have researched scores of women teachers, every single one of them, who unrepentantly teaches men, also teaches false doctrine in some other aspect of her theology. Usually progressivism, word faith, NAR monkey business. In other words, if a woman teaches men, you can just about take it to the bank. She also teaches additional false doctrine. And therefore, if undisciplined, that it could lead to all kinds of shenanigans. No, that's not the Phil Johnson word. This is a, this is a Phil Johnson word. Allowing a woman to continue preaching in a pulpit leads to all kinds of chicanery. And indeed it does. And that chicanery is other false teaching. Somebody who is willfully sinning against a clear command in the Bible is not going to have any difficulty teaching falsely on other subjects. Thanks for the spoof, Jimmy. You're welcome. And thanks for the great work, Michelle. This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. First of all, if you're an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner, we want you to know just how grateful we are for your continued support. When you stand firm with us, we stand firm with you, and together we're able to reach millions of people all over the world. And so we want to take a moment to thank you for your generosity and faithfulness. And know that partnering with us is not just about throwing money at us. It's about something much bigger than that. It's about something much bigger than ourselves. So if you are a Gospel partner already, Thank you. If you're not, could I ask you to prayerfully consider becoming a gospel partner and standing firm with us? Again, it's not about just giving money. It's about reaching as many people as possible with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wretched.org slash donate is the place to go to get any questions you might have answered. You can also text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844 Bible. Important dates in Christian history. 1456. Johann Gutenberg produces the first printed Bible, and its press becomes a means for dissemination of new ideas and catalyzing changes in politics and theology. Without the printing press, the Reformation may have looked very different. 
This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. So, uh, but leaving aside even elections, I think it's clearly a pivot point in history. And I don't think the issues that we debate and really are in some ways distractions are the core issues. Amen to that. Thank you, Tucker Carlson. This is Wretched Radio. Tucker Carlson, who interviewed... Well, he did some interviewing. He did some interrogating. (laughs) (laughs) of different presidential candidates. Was it helpful? Absolutely. Incidentally, it was also instructional. I like Tucker Carlson. He's, I I think you just enjoy hanging with the fellow. He seems overall to be a rather cheerful sort. But did you hear the varying tone with the same questions aimed at different candidates? I did. And I didn't pick up on it, and I'm not mentioning it to trash Tucker. I like the fellow. But it was a reminder that my tone can be affected based on the one receiving my communication. So when he, for instance, was interviewing, I think, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, tell me about your position to Ukraine and what you think America's involvement should or shouldn't be. And then when it was Mike Pence who believes that the United States absolutely should be involved in the war in Ukraine, the tone was noticeably different. And and so were a lot of the words far more accusatory and more aggressive. Now, uh, he has the right to do that. But I do think that in studying Tucker and his tone, it should remind us to be mindful of that for ourselves. And that's why we need one another. If you're parents and you're correcting your children, it's really good to have the other spouse within earshot to be able to say, honey, I know you meant well there, but because depending on how angry we are, depending on what the issue is and depending on the person, it depends on the person's behavior, what your attitude is toward them. It is going to affect your tone. Having said that, Tucker Carlson spent some time talking about the issues of our nation. And he rightly stated, no matter what happens with the election, we've got cultural rot that is just too deep and just too profound. Case in point, did you read Barack Obama's letter to about the American Library Association? Paging Mott and Bailey If you're not familiar with Mr. Mott and Mr. Bailey, it is a tactic that is employed constantly these days in American discourse. I'll say something. Jimmy? Yes? Do you believe that we should be able to write and read pretty much whatever we want? Sure. Mm -hmm. And that's why we should have pornographic children's books in the library. (laughs) No, no, no. Wait a second. Don't you believe that we should have the right to be able to communicate anything that we want. Are you discriminating? Yes. Are you being racist? <laughs> it's exactly what Barack Obama did. That's classic Martin Bailey. That's just class. Okay, Jimmy, uh-huh. I'm holding a cup of coffee. Um, do you think that people should be able to enjoy steaming hot coffee? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we should go pour steaming hot coffee on people's heads. Well, no. Wait a second. Don't you think people should be able to enjoy steaming hot coffee? On their that's, heads. That's, but I'm enjoying putting it on their head. <laughs> well, yeah. Don't you enjoy? <laughs> I, okay. Pick your favorite issue, whatever. It, you hear it all the time. And that is exactly what Barack Obama did. Listen to his words. Some of the books that shaped my life and the lives of so many others are being challenged by people who disagree with certain ideas or perspectives. Okay. Hold on. What are the books that we're talking about here? Did Barack Obama really have his life shaped by genderqueer? A work that, among other things, includes depictions of minors, beep, of male adults, beep, with children, of an adult man, beep, with a small boy. Or did he read, let's talk about it? Illustrations of Beep, or How's About Flamer, a book about young boys engaging in Beep at a summer camp. And of course, no doubt, he must have been informed in his life by This Book is Gay, which describes and demonstrates the uh, 
it's it's a wordplay that I don't even like uh, with about gay sex. Those are the books that shaped your life. What is he doing? Hey, we can't be discriminating with books. What they fail to do is, of course, is mention what those books are. I can't even describe them for you in good conscience, let alone encourage children to read them. In the meantime, the Biden-Harris administration announced the Department of Education Office of Civil Rights will appoint a new coordinator to address the growing threat that book bans pose. Oh, it's a threat. Oh, the White House alleges that book bans can create a hostile school environment that may violate civil rights laws. Really? You know what they don't mention inside of their their announcement that they want to stave off this terrorism of parents who don't want their children reading about, well, the aforementioned? They don't mention any of those books. Don't talk about them. Interestingly, from this particular article, The American Mind, the White House cites an American Library Association report summarizing 1,269 challenges filed, challenges in K-12 public libraries, which is a huge increase. The highest number of book bans in 20 years. Hold it. Hold it. Nobody banned a book. Those were challenges. Whoop, there's a little word game for you. Oh, well. We just used a different word and it gave a different message and it gave a different meaning, didn't it? The American Library Association, Association, they are painting a concern about the appropriateness of materials on public shelves as de facto evidence of discrimination. That's exactly what former President Obama said. These books that are being targeted, mostly LGBTQ, Black, Hispanic people. Now, now I, I don't know how accurate that is. I know a lot of these books are LGBTQ concerns that people have. But what does the author's skin color have to do with the content of a book? The answer is nothing. The, the kid isn't going to be reading it through a different skin color. That has nothing to do with content. And yet the shenanigans, the ALA press release, professing alarm about the volume of challenges, doesn't mention the titles. By the way, I'm just going to read this, not because this is pleasant, but I think that we need to understand what people, and we're going to talk about that word people, what that word, what, what people are trying to do and put in front of our children and have them consume. So my apologies for this. Gender queer. Here's the description. This is a different article. A graphic novel that includes depictions of intercourse between a bearded man and a boy. As well as images of young people experimenting with toys. This book is gay. Explains how sex apps work to young people. And it directs them to Grinder to learn where the nearest homosexuals are. These are the books in our libraries for children. The book says it's easy to meet up with them. Lawn Boy includes language so explicit that parents reading from it at school board meetings have been ruled out of order. <laughs> By the way, I think it's called Wix. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. A whiz, W-I-Z-Z, based in France, 14 million downloads of this app. And they're saying that sextortion is taking place because adults are on teenage apps. Let's talk about the word people. How do we describe these people? Hmm? We want to speak truth and love. I don't think that we want to be inflammatory unnecessarily. But how should we be describing these people? By the way, I, I, I don't think that we should, we should determine this based on the names they call us. It's a strategy and a tactic, and it works. They're terrorizing libraries. Okay, they're discriminating. They're racist. Okay, name-calling, name-calling, name-calling. It's effective, by the way. We don't want to employ that tactic because it can gain you some ground. But as Christians who are truth speakers... What current kind of people are we describing here? Hmm? False. Perverts. Mm, well, yeah, that too. Predators. Pedophiles. Groomers. This is wickedness. This is this is this is evil. 
And I'm not suggesting that all or even necessarily any of those words get used every time. But isn't that what's happening? That these people are so darkened in their thinking that they are trying to help children become perverts. And and they're insisting on it. And the former president of the United States is aiding it. And the current president of the United States is figuring out little strategies and tactics to keep parents from pulling perverted books out of public libraries that we pay for. Again, I don't want to follow the liberal tactic of name calling. That's ad hominem. We don't do that. We don't do Martin Bailey. But as Christians, I think it's time we start talking about this, even when we're in restaurants and somebody might overhear it. These people who are trying to do this to our children, they're perverts. And an election, it ain't going to change or fix that. This is Wretched Radio. Books of the Bible God called the prophet Jonah to preach repentance in Nineveh. Jonah fled, but he could not outrun God. He was cast into the sea and swallowed by a great fish. Jonah repented, and God spared him. Jonah then preached in Nineveh, and they repented. God is compassionate and merciful, and he is calling men from all nations to repentance. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Really, there are forces, unseen forces, acting on people. Indeed there are. This is Wretched Radio, and that's why Jimmy wasn't... (laughs) When you jumped in with your descriptor of people who are trying to promote perversion Mm -hmm. with little children, you said they're lost. Right, correct. I, I went a different direction with it to identify the type of wickedness they're perpetrating. and But you rightly said they're lost, and Tucker Carlson actually supports your description of them because they're lost. These people who are trying to get these twisted books fighting and then calling us names for discriminating and not allowing free speech. Ah! The irony, it's so thick I can hardly breathe it in. These people need to be identified for what they are because what they are doing says what they are. This is Twistorama land. This is dirty, disgusting, filthy, and perverted. But Jimmy, you rightly stated they're lost. That's it. They're lost. And I think that's what Tucker Carlson is about to get on with when he was at that family leadership or that political. What What is that thing called? Yeah, family Leadership Summit. Family Leadership Summit, where he went about the business of interviewing a lot of the different candidates. And he spent some time talking about himself, specifically stating what's going on out there in the world is not going to be fixed by an election. I didn't say don't vote. I didn't say you can't be involved in politics. I didn't say don't be aware But I am agreeing with Tucker Carlson. What ails us can't be fixed politically. It's a spiritual issue. These are darkened minds, darkened souls. The farther people get away from God, the less some of his general graces are lifted, the more wicked it's going to become. Tucker Carlson is exactly right. And to tip his hand, he suddenly got personal. Most likely, you, like I, like Tucker Carlson, his laugh (laughs) is just rather infectious, seems pleasant. He's transparent. He admits it when he biffs it. And you've probably cheered, I hope he's a believer. Well, he calls himself an Episcopalian. But at this particular summit, he disclosed he's, he's been doing something that he's never done before. And that tells me when he said that politics are not the medicine that will cure what ails us, he he was talking about faith. Um, It's funny, in February, I was like trying to think about what to do for Lent. I'm not a particularly faithful or virtuous person, but like you try to do something. I already quit smoking, so like what's next? (laughs) And I thought, well, I'm just going to read the Bible. And no, I'm not going to do a Bible study. I'm a Protestant, so I feel like I have a right to kind of read it myself. And I know, I'm sorry, I feel that way. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so I've been reading it since February and I'm like about halfway done. And, and I haven't talked to anyone about it and I haven't been in it, just been myself reading it. And, and I've all kinds, it's like the most interesting thing I think I've ever done. Mm. Huh. Fascinating. I hope he has a MacArthur study Bible. Let's send him Can one. you imagine how much that, <laughs> hey, if we can't send a MacArthur study Bible to Tucker Carlson, we could send a bunch of them to the Philippines through the Masters Academy International. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I did. Masters Academy International. We want to send 10,000 MacArthur study Bibles to our brothers and sisters in the Philippines in good Bible teaching churches with pastors trained and equipped by the Masters Academy International who rightly divide the word of truth correctly because they can't afford them. Would you please help us join us in sending MacArthur Study Bibles to the Philippines? We're very close to our goal. Mm. You can learn more at wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible. Back to Tucker Carlson's Bible reading expedition. Unbelievable. The amount of drama uh-huh. in those books <laughs> that has been hidden for me as a regular churchgoer in the Episcopal Church. Like, wait, why didn't you never mention this? This is like unbelievable. <laughs> what? But the two things I have come away with after reading the entire New Testament, and I'm up to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, is the every, per- with the exception of Jesus, every huh. figure is like really flawed. That's a great observation, Tucker. That's the point. That is one of the potent arguments for the veracity of the inspired Word of God, being the Bible. The people who wrote it didn't say flattering things about themselves or others because it's obvious we've got problems and we are all big sin messes. And the only one who never did is the one who came to save us from our sins, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Tucker. Just from reading the Bible. Big time. Like flawed in a way where you'd be like, I don't know if I could be friends with that person. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Abraham enters Egypt and he's like, oh, it's my sister actually. Take her. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> That's Father Abraham. What about Moses? He was found to be lacking in trust in God, took matters into his own hands, was denied going into the promised land. Consider David. Seriously, multiple wives. Let's just start there. God said the king, one wife, because he knew how these political alliances worked, and they could because they had power. How's about the whole Bathsheba business? Not to mention Uriah the Hittite being murdered by David. That's the best king of Israel right there. Why is it in the Bible? Because a king from the lineage of David would reign on the throne forever. It's the better king. Jesus Christ. The Bible is honest and it serves a focusing of the attention on the one that we need to save us from ourselves and from the wrath of God. That is a very powerful argument that the Bible is indeed an honest inspired book. What? I was saying to my wife, who was a, who was a religion teacher, I was like, what, why didn't anyone, what is that? And she's like, maybe the point is that God takes people who are not perfect people, not only not perfect people, like they're so imperfect again, I don't think I can have dinner with them, and uses them for these grander purposes. That's the first thing I noticed. The second... Before he gets to the second thing that he noticed, um, yes, I, I think that that is a lesson from those stories, that God does indeed use imperfect people. In fact, hold on. You're, you're, not only does he use imperfect people, he uses really broken people. Mrs. Friel gave me this. A friend, it is an individual that we know that we used to go to church with, who said amen to this. This happens to be, get ready for this, a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod pastor. This is, this is what a Chad Bird wrote. Years ago, when I went through divorce, I did not come out on the other side a better Christian, a better person, or a stronger person. Hmm. Where are you going with this, sir? But I did grasp more fully that in and of myself, I am nothing. I have zilch to offer God. I have nothing of my own to claim except my faults. I have no strength, no righteousness, no moral pedigree to wow heaven. In divorce, God married me to the cross. I didn't want it. Indeed, I hated it. But upon my shoulders, God laid it. The ring of nails, the veil of darkness, the kiss of death. When we are stripped of all the good we think we are and have, 
We come face to face with the evil within. We fight and wrestle and gasp and die and become nothing. Then our Lord, who created everything out of nothing, says, now I have you exactly where I want you. The only material that God really works with is nothing. He brings to nothing the things that are. And that thing, of course, is Christ Jesus, whom God makes our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What do we see in these fallen men and women in the Bible? We should see ourselves. Then we should see spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and realize how desperately we need him and how kind he is to sacrifice himself on our behalf. So yeah, then God does use flawed people. But there's more to it than that. What did Paul say when he expressed what a wretched man that he is? Who will save me from this body of death? It again points to the cross. And then what does he call himself? The chief of sinners. Why did God save this murderer? So that in Paul, there would be a demonstration. If you don't think that God can save anybody, then you don't know Paul. Or you didn't know him as Saul. He was an example of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. That is a lesson from reading about flawed people in the Bible. The first thing I noticed, the second thing I notice is that people, while they have free will, of course, and they can make decisions and they look at the consequences this. of those decisions, they're not really in charge of the arc of history at all. Mm. They are being acted upon a lot, Amen. okay? And I never really appreciated that because I'm American. And so I grew up with this feeling that we're the sum total of our choices. And well, that's not what I'm reading at all. Mm. Yeah, people's choices matter. You need to do certain things and not do other things. On the other hand, you are not in charge. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> Where could that go? I, I can hear all of my reform friends going, he's really close. <laughs> yeah, we make genuine decisions and God acts on us. Simple as that. You say that doesn't harmonize. It does in God's mind. And therefore, it is true. Tucker Carlson, willing to be transparent and joyfully confess what he's been learning about reading the Bible. And it's a lot. What will Tucker Carlson's future be in the faith? Here's my guess. It depends on who gets a hold of him. This is Wretched Radio. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? It's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer. And it must be for me to say game changer because I loathe that phrase. But that's exactly what Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford is. It'll help you and it will empower you to help others too. You'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in Solomon's Court. New episodes, they drop every Saturday morning at transform.org slash podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Trust me, you'll be glad you listened. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. 
then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is exhortation, the spiritual ability to encourage, comfort, and admonish God's people. Whether God's people are oppressed, confused, or in error, God has provided the gift of exhortation to comfort, urge, and correct them. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Not back to the future. The future is going back. This is Wretched Radio. What in the world is going on? Tucker Carlson recognizing this ain't a political issue. The confusion, the degeneration of a culture is a spiritual issue. Indeed it is. And how much more should that encourage us to go out and offer the spiritual solution? Wouldn't this be fascinating? No doubt you read a lot of articles that tell you, you got to do, it's enough. Christians have got to stand up. And then they never tell us what to do. All right. Well, I'm going to take their cue. It's time for Christians to do something. And I've actually got something that's biblically mandated. Go and make disciples. You can do that. Imagine if every time you and I heard a broadcaster or read a political commentary that said, that's enough. We've got to fight. We've got to stand up. We've got to do something. And we went out and witnessed to somebody. Do you think that might make a difference? I do. Because it is Christianity that brought morality and values to the West. Rather interesting article in The Federalist by one Adrian G-A-T-Y, Gady or Gaddy. My apologies, sir. Our cultural degeneracy is a return to normalcy. What we know, those of us who have been alive for like more than seven years, is, is that this country was basic, basic loads with sin. I get it. I get it. But we had a moral compass that was really tilted by Christian values. Now, I understand how vulnerable that statement is, but in this limited context, let's let it stand for a moment. But that hasn't always been the norm. That hasn't been the standard. This is what Mr. Gady writes. Remember your history in your Bible. Idol-worshipping, sin-enslaved, child-sacrificers are the normies. That's what used to exist. And by the way, they, they're the normies today, incidentally. The number of people who want to sacrifice children at the altar of career, finer wine, a bigger house, a trip to Florida. What a trade. The Israelites might have been the chosen people, but they weren't the only people. There have been far more Sodoms and far more Gomorrahs in the history of the world than there have been Jerusalems. And even Jerusalem had more than its fair share of pride-worthy content over the year. The most successful ancient cultures were so unspeakably degenerate by Christian standards that the 19th century archaeologists who dug them up had to shovel the dirt back over and cover up their discoveries to avoid corrupting any tourists. It wasn't until the 21st century that the full extent of Pompeii, I think that's how you say Pomp the Pompeii? Yep, I'll go with that. <laughs> the full extent of Pompeii's perpetual pride festivities were made public. Did you know that? There were pride parades in Pompeii? This is nothing new. We're not progressing. We're regressing, my liberal friend. A reflection not of our era's open-minded dedication to scientific inquiry, but of the sad fact, here's the shocking part, that after a century of secular humanism, there's nobody left to shock. Back in the 19th, we can't show people what was going on. That would be too revolting. 
Now we've got gender queer books in the library for children. And we kind of go, well, well, probably not a good idea. In Pompeii, depictions of pedophilia, rape, and bestiality were a part of daily life. And its art celebrated the blurred boundaries between sexes and species. As the Smithsonian puts it, graphic depictions of sex were not sequestered in red light districts, but celebrated by the culture at large. Quote, at a time when polytheism, this is, this is apparently from the Smithsonian Institution, at a time when polytheism, not Christianity, was the norm, sexual, and sexual pleasure embraced proudly by the very small g gods the Romans worshipped was cause for celebration. They maybe even had pride parades. In the absence of God, madness is the norm. Now, the question is, how do you fix that? Hmm? If you like Tucker Carlson, I would suggest we heed his words. This, this ain't a political problem, and it, and it doesn't require a political fix. This is a spiritual problem. You don't want to trust Tucker Carlson? Then let's trust the Bible. What is this in the world? And what is the role of the Christian? And what is the role of the church? Hmm? What is the role of the Christian? What is the role of the church? If you are genuinely exercised about the state of affairs in our nation, and honestly, we all are, but to varying degrees, might I just encourage you, rather than telling the church, now, I, I, I realize, too, this is open to criticism. Hear it in the context in which I'm speaking it. In, instead of trying to tell the church and your pastor to become political, to fix the problem, Serious, this is not snarky. You go into politics. You you see a need there? You see that you can help with human flirt? Then go. But don't tell the church and the pulpit to be focusing on political issues. Now, please note, I didn't say, never talk about it, didn't say that. But that, that realm is only our concern in as much as people, human beings, image bearers, who possess an eternal soul, are going to die and go to hell. That's our concern. And here's the beauty of it. Now, I grant you, it's a long solution. But the more people that get born again and get saved, the less genderqueer booking you're going to see in the public libraries. It is as simple as that. A anything else, it, it's going, now this isn't necessarily bad because that's the role of the government. It is going to be a strong arm morality if a morality at all. We, we need heart transplants. Would you like some incentive and motivation to do that? Well, here's an article headline for you. Why so many U.S. schools are adding Sikhism to their curriculum? Grades K through 12, they're teaching in different religion courses, world religions. They're adding Sikhism. Interestingly, because the kids who go to the schools who are Sikhs, they say are getting bullied. And of course, that's not good. And they believe that by teaching, it really helps uh, curb the violence, which, as an aside, slightly ironic considering a bit of a violent history of Sikhism. Nevertheless, we affirm we don't want bullying in schools. So I, I don't have an issue with their efforts to try to show, hey, this is what they believe. This is why they believe it. So don't beat them up. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. What grabs my attention? is the necessity of it. There are 750,000 Sikhs living in the U.S., 30 million worldwide. That's a lot of people who are lost. And now in schools, your Christian kids will hear and learn about Sikhism and probably present it in a very favorable light because of the, well, it's a good agenda that they have, presumably. You don't like that? Find a Sikh and witness to them. Find a Sikh and share the good news with them. Are you concerned about people? Okay, was this a spoof, Jimmy? I don't know. Here's the, this is what makes our world so weird these days. You read a headline and you go, well, I don't know if that's true or not, but it could be. I saw a headline about the president saying in order to curb global warming, that we're going to, we're, we're, we're figuring out a way to block the sun. <laughs> that, 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 that's tough. Um, okay. 
No, I don't even know. That could have been Babylon B. I don't know. It's so, but it's like, well, it could be true. They might have that much chutzpah. They think they can control the weather and block the sun. Paging the Tower of Babel. We want our blasphemy back. That's what that is. That they think that they can control the weather. That they can block the sun. And even if that's a spoof, you go, that's the attitude. We are going to run the weather department. By the way, speaking of headlines. And speaking of, I wasn't, but I'm going to say that I was, so that this segue will actually work. Speaking of your heart and my heart and how we feel about the world, there's plenty to be grieved over. There's much of that, but be careful for headlines that fuel that inside of you. Case in point, here's the headline. Kamala Harris, quote, we must reduce population to combat climate change. There it is. See, there it is right there. They want What do they want to kill people? Huh? To deal with climate. Oh, wait a second. There's details. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, she said, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Uh-huh. Right. That's, that's, that's what she said. In other words, the context is not population control. She said, when we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce, she said population, she should have said pollution. And that was in her actual script. In other words, she misspoke. Now, is she maybe for decreasing the population? Yes, she might be. In fact, she probably is, but not from this. In other words, you got to read more of the headlines because a lot of these headlines, they're intended just to stoke and anger and infuriate and show, see what these people are up to. We'd, we we will come to that conclusion based on truth. And when we do, we're going to consider our response and we're going to heed the words of Tucker Carlson on, oh yeah, God, go and make disciples. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. 